Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. The word is holiness, unity, and blasphemy. All revivals throughout history came from movements that were based in holiness and unity. Now, that's kind of a conundrum because the word holiness literally means separation. So how can it be based on separation and unity? Separation from the world, unity with God. You have to be unified with the Spirit. You have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But that means that you have to surrender your own control and just follow what God as the head is doing and let him work together through the body to do what needs to be done. And to do that, you have to be separated from your pride, from your selfishness, from your envy, from anything worldly, which is holiness. The truth of God's word must be, must be spoken but it must be spoken in the right spirit with love. And people have to lay down their own ambitions and desires and let God have control. All revivals came from, the, from a movement of holiness and unity. Many of y'all were there when we did the One Blood Revival in Baton Rouge, and, and a lot of good came from that. It worked because, one, God did it. Two, people prayed and asked God to do it. Three, God used me to bring the holiness part and Devin to bring the unity part. So you had the elements. You had the holiness, you had the unity, you had the people asking God, and you had God moving. That's why it worked. Because that's how God works, and that's what God will endorse. But every revival in history eventually ended when division got in because of envy, seduction, distraction, or counterfeits the leading of any other spirit using any other method. The Holy Spirit won't work with demons, and it is the work of Satan to run people out of the kingdom. So beware of divisive spirits, pride, hardness, control, a lack of compassion, and love. Jesus said that you were either gathering with him or you're scattering with Satan. No, we don't play with sin, but we never stop fighting to retrieve the straying, and we never stop praying for the rebellious. Fight to maintain your compassion, and don't grow weary in well-doing. I think that one of the reasons, you know, we talked about, I think, Friday, God calling us out to, to hospitals. I think one of the reasons he's giving that call is to help rebuild compassion. Because... When you're looking at someone who's dying, or someone whose loved one is dying, or someone whose child is sick, you don't care what denomination they have, you don't care how their doctrine is messed up, you just want to help them. You're moved by compassion. It kind of pushes everything else out of the way. And I think it's an arena that God is giving an opportunity to say, go, go there and test. Plus there's a desperation. Where there's a desperation, it draws the Holy Spirit to move. And it does make it easier. When a person is desperate, God will work through you because they're desperately asking God to move. And if you're a willing vessel there, he'll move through you. So things happen more easily. You'll get the word more clearly. He'll move in miracles more quickly. So it's a place that will build your faith. We say, well, why does God move so miraculously in third world countries? Because there's a desperation because they need him because they're in dire situations. 
you want a little taste of that here instead of waiting for the whole thing to collapse, go to a hospital. When I went to the doctor today and he told me, and I already knew there was nothing they could do because God was already fixing it and that they weren't going to find anything, but they told me to do it, so I did it. He went and he told me, he said, well, everything looks good. He said, the only test that we can do that we haven't done would be to do a gallbladder function test to see how much it's, it's functioning. And I told him, I said, well, I don't think I need that. I said, where would they do that at? He said, well, we can't do it here in Warsaw. You have to go to Cabrini. And I remembered when I told y'all, just go so you don't have to get sick for God to send you and have God to send me to Cabrini. I said, I don't need the test. I'm like, God, I can go. I don't, I'm good. And I'm like, yes, Lord Jesus, I understand. I will go to Cabrini and pray for somebody. <laughs> I don't have to go get a gallbladder test. I don't need to get sick or go in debt. <laughs> I will go. But... I think that's the reason that he gave the call for the hospitals in the first place is to kind of help get the priority straight and to bring back that sense of compassion, to look past all of the surface stuff to the need. Outpourings of God are birthed through travail, prayer, truth spoken in love, sacrifice, pain, like a woman carrying a baby. But it's killed by envy, selfishness, and a desire for attention. And people who pretend that they're something that they aren't. They aren't the mothers and fathers that carried these movements through in the hard, unseen seasons. They don't really care about nurturing, sacrificing, and caring for it. They just want to be seen. Like the two women fighting over the same baby in the story of Solomon. In the story of Solomon, King Solomon was known for his wisdom. And there were two mothers that had came to him fighting over the same baby. They were both claiming to be his mom. And they wanted the baby. So Solomon says, oh, well, that's easy. He, he commands one of his guards. He says, come here, take your sword out. Cut the baby in half and give him each a half. Well, the real mom starts screaming and crying and saying, no, give her the baby. Give her the baby. She can have it. And Solomon said, take the baby and give it to the mom. That's the real mom. She loved it enough to give it up to save it. So you can see that as a parallel of those who really love God and love the church. doesn't matter if they get the good out of it. As long as they, they, they get that person saved, as long as they birth that revival or bring it through, as long as that church is established, as long as that family is turned to Christ, whatever it takes, it doesn't matter if somebody else gets the glory or center stage for it. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I can use um, Georgia and Devin as a good example for that. They sacrificed a lot to put one blood together, and they still do them all over the country. I mean, they, they literally had to sell their house to finish paying off the funding for it and walked away with nothing. Like, they worked hard. They were turned good out of so many churches. They were... You know, they went through a lot, and nobody really even knows about it. They put other pastors on stage. They put other worshipers on stage. They called people together. They went through the labor, but they were also willing to give that baby up to save it if that's what it took. And so, you know, what happened in the end, God took it and gave it back to them, and now they're all over the, the country doing revivals and bringing more of those things. God said, okay, that's a real mother and father that I can trust. They were willing to give it up. Um, 
you know, whenever we had did that little revival in Simsport, God had called us to do one in Simsport, and, you know, we prayed and we fasted for, for years, prayed and fasted and, and cried out and went and put a flyer on every door, never put the church's name, and, and we, we never let anybody know what church was doing it, and we put Brother Scott center stage. We didn't even put our own pastors on it, whatever it took. And I always said that because we were willing to do that and give that stage to somebody else from Baton Rouge, actually, God then put together a revival in Baton Rouge, put a bigger stage, and put us on that stage, center stage. So you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. That's what a real mother and a father does. It's not about the glory. It's not about serving yourself. It's about making sure that that baby makes it. <clears throat> There's no selfishness in it. I saw a very horrible story this morning. I, I was trying to start my computer to put the, to upload the podcast, and it wouldn't start. It was lagging. It was lagging. And then when it finally opened, it opened to a new story. Like it just completely skipped the homepage and it opened to these new stories, which I never read. And when I saw the title, I just I felt drawn in my spirit to read it, which was all God, because I normally would not read through something like this. But as I began to read through the story, I began to see what God wanted me to see in it. It was about a woman, this was a real news story, who wanted a man's attention so bad that she faked her own pregnancy. She carried the fakery so far that it came to a point where she had to have a baby to finish the, the fakery. So she killed a real mom, cut the baby out of her womb, and stole the baby. Well, the baby died in the hospital. She got pulled over by the cops, told the cops that she had went into labor on the side of the road. So they brought the baby to the hospital. Uh, the baby died. She wouldn't let the doctors check her, so they got suspicious, and then things started unraveling. But God showed me that that's what many are doing in the church today, and that's exactly how revivals die. Jeremiah 23, verse 30, you can pull it up. It says, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from their neighbor. There are so many that won't go through the, the, the intimacy that it takes, the sacrifice that it takes, the burden that it takes to carry through, to get that true anointed revelatory word of the Lord. So they'll steal it from each other and they'll character kill and they'll do whatever is necessary to destroy the real. They'll move in envy. They'll come against. They'll slander. They'll turn everyone against each other so that they can be seen as the mother when they're really not. And those are the things that end up killing the real carriers of the Bible. The passage continues, Behold, I am against the prophets saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he hath said, behold, I am against the, that prophet 
that prophesies false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies, and by their likeness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. And when this people, or the prophets, or a priest, shall ask thee, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? Thou shalt then say unto them, What burden? And will even I will even forsake you, saith the Lord. They want to be seen as having the glory, the thing that comes at the end of the burden. But they didn't go through the process. They don't understand the burden of carrying it. And they end up killing those that did try to get it from them. All because they wanted to portray some illusion and get some attention. All out of selfishness. They don't know the real burden of carrying God's word for them. They just want attention for people to think that he is close to them when they aren't close to him. They won't go through the waiting, the laboring, the travailing. So they steal, kill, and destroy to get it. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Talking to the church. Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your own members? In other words, all of the fighting and squabbling within the church is coming from your own lust, your own desires, because you're not putting your own members into subjection. You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have, but still cannot obtain. This woman killed, still didn't get the baby. And in reality, she didn't want any more kids. She was just trying to keep the attention of a boyfriend that she had held on to by convincing him that she was pregnant. It's happening in the spirit, too. That's what James is warning of right here. If you even kill trying to get what you want, but you can't even get it, you can't obtain it. You fight and war, but you do not have, because you do not ask. And, you, and when you do ask, you do not receive it, because you ask amiss, that, may you, that you may consume it upon your own lust. So many want to be seen as being used by God. They want to be seen as doing something. But they want it for their own gain. A true parent is selfless and sacrificial. And having a kid is nothing about you. Amen. Having a ministry is nothing about you. Amen. Having disciples is nothing about you. Having revival is nothing about you. I think that that's a big part of what Cain did to Abel. What we see happening in this illustration, in this story with these two women. Abel's sacrifice wasn't a one-day event. It was something that he had carried for a long time. Because that lamb was a pet to him. Something he loved. 
He didn't just give the best of what he had. He gave something up. You see, what we tend to forget about the story of Cain and Abel is that biblically God did not give the commandment to eat meat until after Noah's flood. Before Noah's flood, the righteous did not eat meat. So this was not like a slaughter lamb. It wasn't something he was used to doing, just killing and butchering every day. This would have been like a pet. This would have been like your, your, your favorite dog, you know, something that grew up with him, that he sat out in the field and, and watched and played and talked to God around. He gave something up. This wasn't just a one day he's got to give this sacrifice. This, this is something that cost him something, something he carried through from the birth until the moment that he had to let it go to honor God. Cain gave vegetables. You don't love vegetables. Vegetables don't love you back. That's something that you show people to show off and to get attention. It's not sacrificial in the way that God wanted to portray. He wanted them to know in some small way what it feels like to lose someone that you love because of sin. He wanted to portray through Abel sacrificing this little lamb that he had raised up as a pet or like a member of his own family. Because of sin, it has to die. That, that's supposed to hurt. That's supposed to be a grievous thing. It, it's not like, a, oh, look what I grew in my garden. Isn't it spectacular? He, God was trying to get the message across that sin will cost something. Something's going to die. So you should hate it. The sacrifice was supposed to make you hate the need for it. Like Abel's did. Not to look forward to it like Cain's did. Most altar calls today, I think, are Cain's services and the churches don't even know it. If Cain's sacrifice is what God wanted, then it's something you could look forward to. Hey, look at my vegetables. Look what I grew. Look what I did for you. Isn't my worship song so pretty and amazing? Isn't my stage spectacular? Check out our worship service. We got the most people. We can jump the highest. We can shout the loudest. The point in Abel's sacrifice was to make you realize that you don't want this to have to happen. The point in a real altar call should be to make you realize that you shouldn't want to have to come up here right now. Yes, thank God for the opportunity. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for the blood. But don't take it lightly. We shouldn't have to come to you, God, right now and ask you to cleanse us. We shouldn't have to add another weight to Jesus' sacrifice. But I'm sorry I messed up. Thank you so much. Abel's sacrifice made that point. Why? Did my lamb have to die? Not look how great my service to you is. The church has it all wrong. And it's because the mother killers of revivals are the ones stealing the babies and pretending to be something that they're not. Carrying the real presence of God is a precious, weighty, and sacrificial thing. Pretending to and then stealing and killing spiritually to prop up the illusion that you have the relationship with God that you say you do and have carried the burden of the Lord to make it seem like you have spent the time with that spiritual husband that is required 
so that you can get some attention or live in some delusion or have some form of control over others is nothing short of witchcraft. And God takes it very serious. This is why judgment is coming to the house of God. Repent and make sure that you're not guilty of it. If you are in any form, bring restitution and correct it. The old time churches preached something called restitution. You don't really hear it anymore. Repentance is when you come to God and you say, I choose to not do this anymore, Lord. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Restitution is when you make it right. For example, if you slander a pastor to their congregation, you go back and you tell that person something that fixes it. You go back and you honor that pastor in front of them to, to fix what you messed up. You bring restitution. You correct. You turn around the situation. Repentance is when you turn yourself around. Restitution is when you turn the situation around. Repay those that you stole from. Speak honor of those that you slandered. In the story that I read this morning, this woman, as horrible as it is, but that just shows me the depth of what God is trying to bring the visual in comparison that he gave. This woman killed this mom in front of her three-year-old daughter. And as horrible as that is, if you have spoken against, torn down, or character killed a minister in front of their spiritual children, their disciples, their congregation, or their church members, then God sees it no different. Turn the hearts of the children that you have stolen or spiritually killed with your acting like you had authority or insight that you didn't have back to the Father while there is still space for repentance. Remember that the word hypocrite means actor. The lawyer said of this woman that stole this baby, his words were that she was an actor of the greatest degree. For 10 months, she had garnered attention by faking the pregnancy. Fake gender reveal parties, everything. People do it in ministry too. Fake services, fake giftings, bunch of hype. She wore fake bellies, all of those things. Jesus said of the Pharisees, why do you put on a show and wear all these clothes and garments, but it's not who you really are. And in the end, the woman that she killed to steal the real baby from was her friend. I've seen it happen in churches. People turn on friends and family and spouses, whatever. Get a little attention. Horrible, isn't it? Don't think it doesn't happen in the church in the spirit. And I think that for those who hear it, God wants to make sure that it really sinks in how disgusting it is so that we take it more serious. If you have ever envied those that were willing to carry God's word and burdens through to the birthing with sacrificial travail like Hannah did and have allowed the spirit of Cain to use you to attack them, then there is no difference than what this woman did and you better repent because there is a judgment coming for it. Abel did give the best. 
if you were ever jealous because of the anointing on someone that you wanted for yourself but didn't have it because they gave the fact of their life to get it and you didn't today is the day of repentance you better take it that one person that you ran off trying to feel like something that you were not that one person that gave up because you gave that false word that wasn't from the Holy Spirit that one person that you discouraged because you domineered, bullied, manipulated, controlled, or slandered. That one person that you sabotaged because you were envious. That one person could have been the key to the territory. That one person could have been carrying revival. And you killed it. This is a serious message. God will restore unity and holiness. He will do it through judgment. He will remove the counterfeits. He will reveal the wolves in sheep's clothing. He will know them by their fruits. He will expose the roots. Weep and travail like the real mom did in Solomon's story. If you really carry the presence of revival, then you won't have to be told to do it. You will fight to keep the baby alive. So where is your fight? What are you fighting? Are you fighting the enemy or the family? Or are you fighting your own friends out of envy? It's time to fight for the family of God again and travail for the ones that are still coming. Here is wisdom. Lay down self, fear God, stop playing, and take the warning serious. Deal with the scatterers, the selfish, the usurpers, and the actors. Pull up Matthew 12, verse 30. Jesus himself said this. He said, He that is not with me, and that gathereth not with me, scattereth abroad. In other words, if we're not working with Jesus and gathering people into the family with him, then we're going to be those that are actually scattering and running people off. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven men. There's a lot of controversy about what this blasphemy is. People try to overcomplicate it so that they can exempt themselves from it. You don't have to. It's right here. The scripture tells you exactly what it is. He said if you're not working with him in the Holy Spirit, but if you're working against it and you're scattering then there's something else that is leading you and it's going to drive you to blasphemy. And God will not overlook it. He says, And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the one to come. In other words, if I do something and you don't like it, you can say all you want about it. That's okay. But if the Holy Ghost does something through me and you come against it, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Because that's exactly what the Pharisees had just done to Jesus when he gave this warning. And it's as simple as that. It's okay to stand against men and be wrong. Don't stand against the Holy Spirit. You better know before you speak something. And I think also pretending to be the Holy Spirit and portraying yourself as something that is not accurate is blasphemy. 
What that woman did was blasphemy against the mother. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by the fruit. For an evil tree to claim that its fruit is holy is blasphemy because it's giving the wrong representation of the Holy Spirit. Be careful what you do and what you say in God's name. Pretending to move by the Holy Spirit when it's not him doing it is blasphemy. And God will not overlook it. He will judge it. He has to. Because he has to prove that it was not from him. And that he does not endorse those who do it. We're going to read a large chunk, and this will be our closing, of Jeremiah 23, which is where we started. And you see God bringing a judgment on all of these false prophets and false priests. And in the end, he tells them exactly what Jesus said. You're not going to be forgiven. You can't do that and get away with it. This is what blasphemy is. And this is the judgment. Let's start in verse 16 and read through to the end. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that despise me. The Lord hath said, Ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, No evil shall come upon you. In other words, they make people comfortable in their error and sin. For who had stood in the counsel of the Lord and had perceived and heard his word, and who had marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord is gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously upon the heads of the wicked. God is pronouncing judgment. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he hath executed, until he hath performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you shall consider it perfectly. In other words, God's going to bring a judgment. You don't understand it right now, but after the fact, you're going to see it. You're going to get it. And I do believe that God is announcing this. This woman is arrested, and she's facing the judge right now. They said the, the, the court shouldn't last all that long. They have a lot of evidence, maybe a few months, and then there's going to be a judgment. And, and I see a parallel in the spirit. God is pronouncing judgment. God is going to move against those that have done this, but he's also giving space for repentance to search our own hearts and make sure we're not guilty of it. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. In other words, if they really had been with me, spending time with me, then what I would have spoken through them would have produced fruit and these people would have repented. Something would have happened. They would have at least tried to turn them from the error of their ways. Because what was happening, some of them they were comforted, and some of them they were so hard-hearted that they were just running them off. They weren't even trying to convert and to save the people anymore. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, 
and not a God far off? I have heard what the prophet said that prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. In other words, God's saying, don't just think that I'm just way off in the heavens. I'm right over your shoulder. I see what you're doing. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. They speak what they think or what they want or with agenda, but they're not speaking by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. In other words, they want people to look to them. It's not, they, they're not turning people to God. They're not teaching people to seek God or to hear from God. They want people to hear from them. They want people to follow them. They want to have control over everything, just like Baal did. The prophets that have a dream, let him tell a dream. In other words, if a true prophet really has a dream, don't be afraid to tell it. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. If you really have heard from the Lord, be faithful to speak it. That's not who God is addressing in this situation. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? In other words, the chaff is going to be dealt with. It's going to be burned up. But if you really are the wheat, you don't have anything to worry about. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rocks in pieces? There's a scripture that talks about breaking up the fallow ground until righteousness reigns forth. His real word in him. Because he had just said that if a prophet dreams a dream, tell it. If you really have a word from the Lord, speak it. Don't worry about the chaff and all the faith that are doing all these other things. He said, my word will do something. It's like a hammer. It's not always pleasant. That's fine. Trust the Lord. Let it do its work. It will bring forth righteousness. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. But there, there are those who are just repeating the mantras. They're all giving, everybody goes online and listens to that one prophet that sometimes gets it right. And now everybody's a prophet and pretending they got this word from the Lord. And I'm going to speak this in your ear because I heard it on a conference down the street. They stole somebody else's baby. Behold. I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he says, thus saith the Lord. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, and cause my people to error by their lies and by their likeness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. You would be surprised how many times I have had people come to me and tell me, I dreamed this. And I knew right off the bat they were lying and manipulating. Sometimes they were making it up completely. Sometimes it was a dream, but they were manipulating the way they were saying it and interpreting it because they already knew an outcome that they wanted. And they wanted me to say it so that I would agree with them to endorse their dysfunction so they could go out and do something. And immediately, as soon as they said it, I already knew what they were doing by the, by the Holy Spirit because you're not going to know any other way. But it happens more than you would think. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. And when this people, or the prophet, or a priest, shall ask me, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? They don't even know. They never carried that word forth. They don't even understand what the burden is that 
that they don't understand what Abel had to experience. They don't understand carrying that thing all the way through and then offering it. They don't understand the burden of the Lord. All they understand is the glory. The glory. What are we talking about? What? You don't have to, to carry that burden. You don't have to put down that sin. You don't have to give up your wants and your lusts and your desires and your hobbies and your entertainment. We're under grace. We can do what we want. We can get up on stage and have our performance and just repeat the words from yesteryear and old sermons. And when this people or this prophet or a priest shall ask thee, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? Thou shalt then say unto them, What burden? I will even forsake you saith the Lord. So there was a blasphemy that came forth and there was a judgment for it. And God said it can't be forgotten. It's got to happen. This reminds me a bit of the story of Eli and his sons in the Old Testament. And we're coming to a close, but there was a priest in the Old Testament named Eli and he had two sons. And they wouldn't do what was necessary to be carriers of the presence of God. There was a portion that was allotted to them. They were supposed to, when the, the meat offerings were brought, all the pieces were thrown into a pot. They would drop a hook in it and blend boiling water. Whatever piece of meat the hook caught and brought out was their portion. That's what they got. That was their way of letting the Lord choose how much they got for their living. But these sons started bullying and just taking whatever was pleasing to them. They would go and take the best cuts of meat. They'd take it raw. They'd cook it however they wanted. They got their steaks and their filet mignon. They were also committing fornication at the door of the church with the women that came to pray. They were bullying people. It says so much so that people started to hate to come to church. How many times have you heard Somebody say, I don't go to church because of them hypocrites. Now, we know sometimes it's just an excuse, but sometimes they really did have a bad experience. If they didn't come because somebody bullied them or because somebody took something more than they needed just for their own pleasing, that's a serious thing. A judgment was pronounced on Eli and his sons. Eli for not dealing. Eli wasn't doing these things, but he didn't deal with the ones under him that was. And the judgment was that their priesthood would be cut off and God would raise up another one. So this word is very serious. His sons for generations, they were still priests, but their ministries were always cut short and the glory of the Lord departed and was no longer on it. God had, prom God had spoken to that father and told him that God would bless him in his house and all of these things, just like this prophecy said, I had once told you I would bless you, but now there are going to be consequences. So because God had already spoken the blessing, the priesthood had to stand, but the curse and the consequence that came was that it was cut short and it was short and it would never amount to anything. And God raised up another that was pure and that would obey him. And within that same house, God raised up Samuel, the son of Hannah. Hannah travailed and wept and cried. Hannah was a nobody, but Hannah birthed revival. God's about to dethrone a whole lot of priests, a whole lot of Elis and his sons and raise up some Samuels 
from Santana's. But first, he's got to bring a judgment on the killers of revival. Now, all of this started because this morning I had a dream of my dog, Hannah. And when I found her, I looked, and on her belly, she had a bunch of scars. They were all healed up, but it was like C-section scars. And there were so many, there wasn't any room for any more. And then, after I woke up, I opened to the story of this woman that had cut open this mother and stole her baby. And I realized what God was saying, Hannah birthed revival in the scripture, and God is tired. There were so many C-section scars where her, her, her babies had been taken that there wasn't room for any more left. God's like, I'm going to do something. Because I've brought forth the Hannahs. I've brought forth the weeping. I've brought forth the travailing. They've brought forth the babies, but they keep getting taken. So now he's got a deal with the killers. So Lord, we come before you right now, and we repent if we have ever been guilty of this. Lord, we thank you for this word. We pray that you send it forth like an arrow into the earth to hit the mark where it needs to be and let it find its mark in time that people be brought to repentance before you pour out judgment for this. this. Thank you for showing us the depth of how evil this really is so we can take it serious and not fall into it. Lord, we repent of any envy. We repent of ever speaking against someone or something that may have truly been a move of your Holy Spirit, but we didn't realize that we repent of ever twisting a word for for our own uh, agenda lord or repeating something that we heard somebody else say without giving a credence to where it came lord we repent of mistelling any dream or anything that these prophets and priests were convicted of in this passage lord we repent of ever trying to take the lead of usurping of taking positions that we were not given or called to or that we did not carry the burden of or that we didn't go to you in intimacy and and, and get the the seed of that word as your word says and then nourish it and, and sacrifice to tend to it and to care to it or you prefer repent of saying anything in front of anybody's children or spiritual children Lord that would slander or character kill their parents or spiritual parents or or leaders in front of them Lord this is not the way of the Holy Spirit Lord we thank you for your mercy that you would give this that we would be able to come before you in repentance and Lord we pray that you would sow it into our heart that anytime we would ever be tempted of the enemy to fall into it any time ever again that we would be pricked in our heart and remember this message and say get ye behind me satan i'll have no part in it lord we pray against the spirit of division that comes to steal to kill and to destroy revival your work your purposes the things that you're trying to bring forth in the earth lord we are your bride the church is a bride and the church is the one who is supposed to birth revival Lord, let us travail like Hannah. Let us not forsake the prayer closet, that place of coming to truly know you and be known by you, to receive your word, your revelation, to go through the trials and tribulations and hardships of having to bring that word to life in us, to get it right, or the things you walk us through, those able sacrifices to get the full revelation. Abel couldn't get the full revelation of what that sacrifice was meant to say 
if he wouldn't have gone through the life of, of raising up that lamb and loving it and tending to it, uh, raising it from a baby, it being a pet, it being something so close and so innocent, and then having to see it slain for sin, that he could really get the revelation of the message that you were given. That's where revelation comes from. That's how we have to carry it. And we can't just get something from somebody else and go repeat it and think that we really get it. We'll misrepresent it. Thank you, Lord, for those who are willing to walk these things out and stay in the right spirit through their wildernesses. Lord, we pray for those who have been forgotten, Lord, for those Hannahs. We pray for those that have been killed, for those that have been stolen from, for those who have been slandered and hurt, for those who have been the victims of the envious and the selfish. Lord, we pray for you to strengthen them. There's a scripture that talks about uh, it's time for the birthing, but they're so weary they don't have time to bring, they don't have the energy to bring forth. Lord, we pray for supernatural strength on the remnant in the name of Jesus. And we pray that you break the chains of, of the Pharisee, the pharmaceutical spirit, that acting spirit. And Lord, we pray that as you move, as that whirlwind comes, as the chaff is removed, that you plant the seeds of the wheat and raise up the real, that you would position, that you would resurrect those mothers and fathers that have been killed in the labor fields, Lord, that you would raise up the Hannahs and the Samuels, that you would put them in their place, in their position. Even as Shiloh falls, Lord, there's still a work to be done. Raise up the Samuels and let your will be done in all of the earth through them. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.